Ah, it's working. And notice I don't have to have a microphone to hold like last time, which didn't work very well because I couldn't hold it right. Are you good? I, oh, well, I don't know. You'll tell me after I'm done. It's a real privilege to be here. Um, so many people. Wow. And greetings to you who are online. Um, for those of you online, this is a great place to be on Sunday morning. This is a great body of believers, great friends. So if you're online and you're within about 50 miles, why don't you come join us next Sunday and Sundays thereafter? But we welcome you, and uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to talk with you. This chair, my wife is going to say, we did it again. We got a gray chair and blue back and gray slacks and blue shirt. It all will match. <laughs> uh, praise team. Uh, we want to just applaud, I don't know if it's the right word, but thank the Lord for you and bringing us into worship in the way that really softens our hearts and opens our hearts to hear from the Lord. Yes, I know it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, dads. We'll get to you later this morning if we have time. Meanwhile, somebody laughed. Meanwhile, to make sure you're covered, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to uh, remember our fathers, to be our fathers. And Lord, I'm aware that there are people who the relationship with dad wasn't very good. We also grieve people who have lost fathers, especially recently. Some of us haven't been the best dads. Some of us, uh, basically, as uh, ladies, have to be the dads in the home. We just ask for your care and blessing and direction in those homes and those families. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a chat from a chair. Just so you know, I try to stay pretty close to notes and even read sometimes so that I don't chase too many rabbits. The topic for today is staying focused on the vision. Usually I start with a story, but this time we're going to start with a really good story from the scriptures. I didn't have to write one myself. Many of the best stories in all of mankind's history is right out of the Bible. And this is one in part series, I'll tell you today's story, Tom style. You'll see selected scripture on the screen so you can write down the references and check up on me. Background first. If you've been with us for the previous five messages out of Nehemiah, you know what God is doing. Here's a refresher course. Huh. The cliff notes. God's people had lived in sin for several generations and didn't repent. God punished them by allowing Babylon to conquer them Jerusalem's walls were torn down and God's temple was destroyed. Most of the population were marched off to Babylon. The remnant left behind were the less desirables and the weak. 
Later, Syria conquered Babylon and took control of that part of the world. Nehemiah, a Hebrew servant who was close to the king of Syria, told him about the devastation in Judah and his desire to see it restored. God went to work on the pagan king's heart, and he listened. He told Nehemiah to go back to Judah and rebuild. He even arranged for Nehemiah to have all the supplies he needed and gave him the stolen temple treasures. That's a marvel. He did something else. He arranged for a large battalion of soldiers to accompany Nehemiah and the reconstruction party to protect them as they journeyed home. It's critical to note that the whole region of Persia was covered with competitive fiefdoms that disliked each other, and they all despised the Jewish people, especially nearby Samaria. They were comfortable in where they were. In fact, they were pleased that Judah and its people had been defeated and that they were no longer the bigger stick on the block. If you want to refresh the, your memories on the details, read chapters 1 through 4 of Nehemiah because it was, we were going to go to look at chapter 4. Frankly, it's full of intrigue and snarly opposition to the rebuilding of the wall and bad guys that are looking to pick a fight. But best of all, it shows how a cool leader who recognized that God is on his side knows how to stay focused on the vision God gave him. A quick step back. Throughout my career of helping businesses and churches and students develop their leadership capabilities, I use God's Word as a key reference because I believe it's the finest leadership text ever written. Great author, don't you think? Well, the book of Nehemiah is near the top of the list. I suggest participants to read, just an aside. That isn't all in church groups. And I don't care where it is in the world, I ask them to read the book of Nehemiah. I tell them, hey, it comes out of the best leadership book. You better read it. Chapter 4, hopefully, is what I was assigned. And I actually assigned chapter 4. The others they can read, but chapter 4 you got to read. Now, let's dig into Nehemiah for the story. In the interest of time, we'll kind of skip around a bit, sort of the Cliff Notes type of unpacking the story and apply it to our lives today. Let's get started. As the Nehemiah caravan of people and supplies arrived in Jerusalem, he does a couple of things that a good project manager does. He walks around the city and assesses the realities of the needs. Crumpled walls, a totally destroyed temple, burned down gates, and in many cases used as a as a dumping ground for refuse. Total devastation filled with debris. No one could even live in there. You can read more details about that Nehemiah found in chapter 2. He then goes on about recruiting workers. They were local from the nearby impoverished Jewish villages. They were escapees from Syria, descendants of left-behinds generations earlier, they were outcasts. They were, they were generations past the time of thriving Jerusalem, so they couldn't even visualize the majesty of Jews, Jerusalem years before. And there's no dim, digital image in the cloud to pull out of the clouds. How did Nehemiah recruit? What did he tell them? First, he shared his vision. 
And it wasn't to build a wall or a worship center. From the scripture in Nehemiah 2, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we're in? That desolation is desolate, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire? Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Come, let us build the walls so that we will no longer be a reproach. That was the vision. He addressed their deep down inside need in their present circumstances. A rebuilt wall was not the vision, his tool to fulfill the vision. He then told them that the hand of God is in this. Verse 18 continues, so they put the hand to God, their hands to God's work. What a combination. God told them, you are valuable, and I have your back. Wow. What could go wrong? They had God's backing, the vision, the leadership, the plan, the materials, the workforce, and good weather with no snow in the forecast. Then trouble. Harassment and mocking. Remember those fiefdoms that hated the Jews? They covered the landscapes for miles around the rebuilt site, including Samaria just across the border. And their governor, governor was Sanballat, arch enemy number one. The scripture says, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was near him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox could jump on it, it would break down the stone wall. How did Nehemiah respond to the ta taunts and put-downs? Let me just give you an aside. Have you as a Christ follower ever been taunted or put down? Guess what? He didn't even acknowledge the opposition. Instead, he prayed. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their approach on their own head and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Get them, God. What was he saying? God, they have demoralized our men. You settle it. We have a wall to build. Nehemiah 4, 6 says that they kept on building, and soon the wall around was built to half the original height, and all the breaches were closed. Notice how Nehemiah stayed focused to the vision. And it would take a complete wall to achieve the vision, which was the people were no longer be looked down upon. Instead, they'd be respected and their God would be feared. So often, we think our, our vision is to see our church. No, it's what the church is used for, to reach people for Jesus Christ. Looking ahead, because Brad tipped you off last week, so you know, the wall was totally restored in about 52 days. Let's stop for a moment and get our arms and minds around this. The wall around Jerusalem was about two and a half miles, 39 feet high and eight feet thick. Not only the wall, but inside it was filled with debris and garbage, including the flattened temple that had been burned and destroyed. Archaeology digs 
and reconstruction confirm the size. 52 days with no backhoes, cranes, bulldozers, dump trucks to haul away the debris. Does that even make sense? We can't even wrap our human minds around such a marvelous God thing. How is, how, how is, we do these things. I hope there's pictures of the construction site up there. Okay. Went out and prayed and looked at it. Let's look at the next one. There, a lot of equipment. Wow. Let's look at the next one. Oh, look at all that machinery. Huh. It was God-inspired men working to stand tall again, to hold their heads high, because the Almighty God was their God. Time to step back for a minute. Uh, Cheeky and I were privileged to uh, attend a church in Pittsburgh when we moved there. We searched for churches and searched for churches, and we finally had the privilege of going to a Bible study in a church basement that ultimately moved to the upper room uh, of a, a youth pastor who was an unbelievable Bible study, almost as good as Aaron, but he was really great. And the group grew and grew and grew, and it finally was sent out by the larger church to start a new church. Well, Cheeky and I are then starting, still looking around for uh, uh, churches. We opened the Pittsburgh paper on Sunday morning, and here, front page, with pictures, is the following. One Saturday, as the construction started on the new building, Stu, the pastor, gets a phone call, and somebody says, are you the pastor of that church down the road of peace on the corner of such and such? I can't remember the streets. He says, well, yes. Well, there's been a windstorm. You ought to go down there and take a look at it. The entire steel superstructure had been knocked over flat. Well, what would you do? Eh, God doesn't want this to happen. Instead, the people began to pray. The board got together and they said, you know something? We aren't big and big, building big enough. They doubled the size of the footprint. Went from two, seating 200 to 400. Within six months, 400 were there on Sunday morning and 400 were there on Wednesday night for prayer and Bible study. They doubled on Sunday morning, they went to two service, then Saturday night. Wednesday night's Bible study went from Wednesday night to Thursday night as well. Look what God can do when he decides to build. Ah, then the next trouble. There were threats and riots. Now when the Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the wall of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Sounds like a riot to me. How did Nehemiah answer? More prayer and watching. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. The Scripture goes on to say that there was real discouragement. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Then bad guy Sanballat and his cronies decided to stop the rebuild once and for all. They will not know or see until we come upon them kill them and put a stop to the work. But Nehemiah got tipped off. 
It appears these guys bragged in the villages around of what they were going to do. Not too smart, was it? When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Nehemiah put defenses in place. But notice, they did not attack, did not return or go after Samballot and his gang. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space between the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah's approach, encouragement and challenge. The Lord will fight for you and stand tall for your families. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid. Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome will f and fight for you. He's great and awesome and will fight for us today and for his purpose. Brothers and sons, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Well, should we stop now? Sing some more praise songs. Pray a closing prayer and go home early to celebrate and I'll meet the time restraint. <laughs> no way. Here's the rest of the story and no more slides. When Sam Ballot found out that Nehemiah had been tipped off, God frustrated their plan and the crew went back to work. Notice how God can thwart the plans for evil and encourage his people knowing, he ha they ha knowing that he has their back. Then, from that day on, half of my servants carried on the work with half of them held their spears. The shields, the bows, the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. What does that say to our church? Build a defense of prayer and encouragement and support around one another. Folks, we're one in the Lord. Then what do we do? Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load and one hand doing, in one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. We discussed this at home and we're not sure how do you lift a boulder with a sword, but anyway. Church, that says equip the faithful to defend the truth. That's called discipleship. Small groups, prayer groups, Bible study, encouraging each other, praying together. This fall, we are launching a number of small groups. Gang, if you haven't signed up now, get on it. When that word comes out of what's going to be offered, hey, get together with other believers and dig into God's word. Nehemiah didn't stop there. Notice his leadership skills. As for the builders, each wore his sword guided, girded on his side as he built, while the trumpeters stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here. Our God will fight for us. Believers, we got to get organized. That's what he was doing. Work together to defend our faith. God is our, on our side and will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. Hmm. Believers in church, we are full-time followers. You know, have you ever heard of a part-time Christian? We talk about 
people in full-time Christian service. Those are usually our pastors. Folks, there's not a person called to be, be a believer that isn't in full-time Christian service. I've never heard of a part-time Christian. That says, work and watch 24 by 7. I ask you to go home and read the last two verses, 23 and 24. Because it says, hey, this was an around the clock and achieved in 52 days. What does it say to us? Have you and your family ever decided that you'd stand alone and stand as one to the ridicule about your faith at work? I can remember one time coming home and sitting in my study and weeping because of the ridicule at work. What happened? Wife comes and prays with me. What about on the playground, in sports, inside your extended family, at school? Hey, if you're doing your spiritual job, gang, you're going to get ridiculed. The Scripture says that. Come together as a family. Dads, call them together. Let's pray about this. Let's, let's love those who persecute us, those making fun. Let's pray for them. Maybe you've decided to take on the opposition. Get out your Bible and hit them over the head with it. I hope not. But maybe instead you'll pray such a, about as, as a family together and turn it over to God and continue to live your faith and encourage each other and seek support of other believers. Think about it. Okay, dads and parents, this is the other sermon. I'll close with a story. It may a bit be a bit troubling at times, but it hopefully will move us from our earthly father or parent to our relationship with our heavenly father. Two scripts. This is actually a, a combination of two stories I have written. One of them was crime and punishment, and the other one res is restoration. And yes, it's personal. I don't know if I can get through it. It all started innocent enough. I just happened to hang around within earshot while my sister, Mary, was talking and giggling and ooing and eyeing all over the phone with her closest friend, Patsy. She wasn't my real sister. I didn't have any brothers or sisters, but Mary had become a member of our family since she became, came to us from the welfare department three years ago. We got along pretty well. No major spats, as Mom called them. Mary was my nine months younger but, than I, but two years behind me in school. You're kidding yourself. He's a real smart guy, and you're two grades back and having a tough time cutting it in that grade. If it wasn't for Mom and Dad helping you with your homework every night, you'd be three grades back. With that, she pushed by me and headed by the, for the stairs. Now I was having fun and being mad all at the same time. I followed her up the stairs just in time for her to slam the door to a bedroom in my face. I began to shout through the door that separated us. You're not sure, sure good enough for Gene, and I suggest you quit bugging him. After being nice to her for so long, I was beginning to feel good about putting her down. We had to work our tails off just to get her to smile once in a while, let alone make, up, make her part of the cozy little family. One thing about her, I had never, ever seen her cry, even when she was disciplined, including spankings. She was tough. But I was getting through to her. Mary, you're the most stupid kid in school. I pushed her door open and shouted louder. Mary backed away and then threw herself on her bed. She buried her face in the pillow and put her hands over her ears. Then it happened. Thomas, don't say another word. It was Dad standing in the doorway. Tears were welling up in his eyes. He had heard more than he should have. The look on his face was like nothing I had ever seen before. Disbelief, 
frustration, caring, disappointment, all together in one look. Go to your room and stay there. I'll deal with you later. I could hear mom and dad caring for Mary. I sensed that there were lots of hugs and I love yous. True to form, I didn't hear Mary cry or say I love you back to them. She was stone quiet. Finally, mom helped her get ready for bed and tucked her in. Both of them prayed with her and tucked her in bed. I cringed knowing I was next. What did, was dad going to do? I sat on the edge of my bed and decided that I better put my PJs on and wait. Well, I sat on the edge of my bed and waited and waited and waited. But mom and dad never came at all that night. The next morning we sat at breakfast except for dad asking the blessing. Not a word was said. It was Saturday morning and dad and I had planned to go to Earl's place to help with the spring planning. Dad always liked to be where the men of the church were working. He got up from the table, hugged Mary for a long time, tousled her head, and told her again that he loved her. He pushed, washed his hands at the kitchen sink, gave Mom a hug and pat. I'll be home late. Don't wait up. Earl's wife will feed me dinner and supper, too. Love you, Reaver. Stop, Mary. Show Mary lots of love. Dad, I'll get my hat and gloves and be right with you. He didn't say a thing. Didn't even look at me. And by the time I had retrieved the stuff I needed, he was gone out the door. I saw him drive away without me. Mom, Dad left without me. What's the deal? She looked me straight in the eye with a kind heart and kind of hurt, sad, tired look. You'll have to ask him. I'm not in the middle of this. It's between your father. Father? Since when did she refer to him as my father? He was my dad to me. One of my jobs was to mow the lawn for both the church and the parsonage on Saturday. As I walked behind the mower, I played the memory tape back from the previous night. Yeah, I went in a little overboard, but I finally said a few things that needed to be said around there for a long time. I decided to do a really good job with the lawns, make it look extra good for Sunday. Sunday morning, breakfast was always a bit hurried. Dad, I gave the lawns an extra fine haircut yesterday. Let me know if you see any mistakes. He didn't even look at me. He looked right through me like I didn't even exist, and he sure didn't say anything to me. I tried another tack. Do you have an extra offering envelope for church this morning? I mowed Mrs. Schulte's lawn last week. Gave an, got a, it gave me an extra tip. Did a really good job, she said. I think I'll give that in the offering this morning along with my 10%. With that, he got up, left the table, went into his study, and shut the door. Church wasn't much better. He made it clear that he wouldn't even look at me. When he preached, I noticed that he looked awfully tired and sure didn't show his normal excitement when he read the Bible. Monday morning, Dad did his usual thing. He got up at 5 a.m., went into his study to pray and prepare for the Sunday morning service. Sunday sermons. By his study, but his study door stayed closed until it was time for breakfast. That was strange. His door was always open. I tried to get some conversation going at breakfast. After he ate, he just got up from the table, gave Mom a peck on the cheek, hugged Mary, and went back in his study and closed the door. Dad's silent treatment and his action that I said didn't ever exist anymore, was beginning to get through to me. Maybe my tirade and feeling about Mary wasn't very good, but Dad was making too big of a deal about it. At supper, I volunteered to do all the dishes. Mary, you can have the, right, have the night off. I'll sweep the kitchen floor, too. Maybe if I did something beyond the call of duty and be extra nice to Mary, the ice around the house would thaw. Before I fell asleep, I came up with a plan. Mom, I'll get to her. Tuesday morning was the same. Dad didn't even see me. It was like I didn't exist. After breakfast, he was planning to go to the bigger town 
about seven miles away and offer to drop Mary off at school. When I went to get my books, they were driving out the driveway. It really began, it was, I was really beginning to hurt. Wednesday and Thursday seemed to worse, be worse than the day before, days before. It was almost that I wasn't there and I really cut, was cut off from the family. Both nights I laid on my bed with a heart so heavy and so alone. I cried my heart to sleep and begged God to give me back to my dad. Friday morning I felt sick and I told mom, I really don't want to go to school. Can I stay home? No, you'll just have to get over it and I'll show you. Uh, I'll, and you'll, I'm sure you'll get through the day. Besides, your dad and I are going to Madison. I get some things for church and we don't want you here, we don't want you here alone. But mom, we usually did, uh, do that on Saturdays so us kids can go along. No, we need some time alone together. We'll be back before you're out of school. It was here that I saw my chance to ask my mom for help. Mom, would you please get dad at least to talk to me? I hurt so much. He doesn't know who I am anymore. I'm his son, remember? I love him, but he doesn't love me anymore. For the first time, my mom listened. I told you before, this is between you and your dad. Simply put, his heart hurts. After supper that evening, we had cleaned up the kitchen together. Mary asked me if I could help her with her geography questions. I jumped at the chance. You've got this stuff cold. I didn't know you were so good in geography. Really? Mary, I was so wrong to say those terrible things to you. You are my sister, and I love you. Those things I said weren't even true. You're behind in school because you didn't have a good teacher, and mom and your good teachers and a mom and dad to help you learn. You're doing fine now. Heck, you're sharper at geography than I ever was or will be. And then I broke. I cried like a baby. Would you please forgive me for the things I said and the way I acted toward you? I want you to be my sister for the rest of our lives, please. Then two things happened. Almost, almost at once, Mary gave me a big hug and said, sure, I forgive you. I knew you didn't mean it nearly as bad as you said it. Compared to what my other family did to me, it was nothing. And for the first time in three years, she started to cry. We hugged and cried on each other's shoulders, and then she gave me that merry, sweet smile that proved she meant it. A few hugs and tears later, Dad's study door opened, and there he stood. He looked at us, and then he looked at me. He saw me. He wrapped his arms around both of his kids and just hung on. Tears were in his eyes. Reva, come here. We're having a family hug. Our son has come back. Mom soon joined the big squeeze. There was laughing and crying and forgiving and loving and hugging, almost dancing. But that couldn't happen because Dad was a Baptist preacher. <laughs> I'll just tell you the rest. Dad called me into his study. He said, look, you were afraid that I'd punish you. That's what your worry was. You didn't care about Mary. And finally, the inside of you figured out how to reach the inside of her because you had reached the inside of her like nobody ever has in this family, but she had been beaten and, and molested to the previous part of her life. Understand, 
In the scripture it says, someone who has iniquity in his heart, sin in his heart, God will not hear. And I wanted to demonstrate to you what it's like when a father doesn't hear. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, what a delight it is to be able to recall what Nehemiah did. You know I couldn't figure out how to combine Nehemiah's story and Father Day. And hopefully that both of these <laughs> messages reach our hearts, something to go home with that we will learn from. And Lord, as our church grows and builds, may we always remember, may we always remember that the vision we're to focus on is reaching people for Jesus Christ and building disciples to reach throughout the world. That's what you want us to focus on. Help us to do that. And Lord, build the building, grow our body of believers to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.